This morning we're going to continue on in a series that we started um, last week, and I got to apologize. My, my, my voice left me last Sunday, and then I've been trying to catch it all week, trying to figure out the Texas allergies here, and so I'm going to ask you to draw a little bit more attention to me, because I got to kind of speak from here and not any place else so that I can keep my voice, if you would, please. And so we started the series last week, and we were talking about how, when you think about what we are as a church, that we exist to make a difference for eternity, that that's the role that we have as a church. But when you stop and think about it as well, it's your same role that you have, that you and I have, that we are to make a difference. And so there's significance to your life. There's value to your life and to my my life. And I think there's something inside of every one of us that wants to leave some sort of positive legacy in this world. And maybe you didn't start out quite right. Maybe the trajectory of your life was going to take you really in a very destructive way. And I think there's something inside of us that wants to change that trajectory. Maybe your family has a a history of addiction, a history of promiscuity, a a history of divorce. But you want to change that, that what your, your family is known for. You want to leave a different sort of legacy. The word legacy means this. Something such as a tradition or a problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past, something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or they die. I think it's a great definition because when you think about it, you will leave a legacy. You're going to leave some sort of legacy, like it or not. The question is, what type of legacy are you going to leave when your body gives out What legacy, what message is your life going to have? Well, today we're going to continue this series, and we're going to talk about um, a motivation that the Bible uses over and over and over again. In fact, not only is it a motivation for radical generosity, and not only is this a motivation that has led Christianity to be the faith like no other here in the world, and serving people, and building orphanages, and and feeding the poor, and and helping hurting people. But once you embrace this motivation, it changes how you live your life here on earth. It actually changes how you live your life. But not only that, it actually is a solution for a lot of the problems that you are facing. As a matter of fact, this is a solution to specific problems that you're facing right here and right now. And that motivation is simply this. There's more to this life than this life. There's more to this life than this life. And that's why the Bible uses as motivation for legacy and for generosity and for compassion this topic of heaven. Heaven. That heaven is the reason for why we do what we do. Unfortunately, I think for so many of us, heaven is one of those things that just kind of seems intangible, and it doesn't really seem that alluring to us. I want to suggest to you that that's something new for this generation, that when you think about your grandparents and your great-grandparents and those even before that, that heaven was the motivation really for giving, getting up that next day because life here was just so difficult. How many of you heard your stories of your grandparents and your great-grandparents telling those stories? And when you think about even the church songs of those years, it was all about heaven. When I get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. It was, those were the songs. Those were the words because life here was difficult. The reality for so many of us, life here is pretty good. You know what I'm talking about? 
Here in America, life is really, really good. Now, go to other parts of the world, and it's difficult, but still for us, for most of us, we've had everything that we've ever wanted. And so for a lot of us, this is kind of like heaven because it's pretty good. So, so heaven, we think about heaven really is not a motivation. And then you tap onto that the way people tend to think about heaven because there's so many distortions about what heaven has become. In other words, so many people think that heaven is that where we have to dress up in some sort of white gown with a halo on our head, sitting on a cloud and playing our harp and singing in the choir. How many of you know that's not heaven? That's probably more like hell. <laughs> but when you have that type of thinking of what heaven is, there's, there's not much of a motivator behind it, but, you know, I know for me, I've, I've been pastoring now for 27 years, and I've seen probably, probably everything there is to see in terms of people's lives. I've, I've walked alongside of, of people's lives going through the most joyous of occasions. When you think about pastoring, it's such a weird kind of occupation because... <laughs> We get brought into the, the joys of people's lives, the biggest of celebrations, and then we get brought into the lowest of lows in people's celebration. We don't really get to experience just the normal um, people's lives. It's just these two extremes. And so I've seen the most horrific and tragic and difficult times that people have gone through. I've sat beside people on their deathbeds, people who were cursing and yelling at God while they were dying. And and when their body would finally get out, seeing the agony and the terror on their face was absolutely shocking. But on the reverse side of it, I've sat beside people on, on their deathbeds who loved God and who had built this relationship with Jesus Christ. And the difference of those types of people entering into eternity was so, so different. I'll never forget a lady by the name of Aletha. I, I met her when we first moved to Wisconsin, she was part of our church. She was in her 80s. And, and about a year after I moved there, she set up an appointment with me. And she comes to my office and she had a lot of spunk, a, a, a German lady. And she just had a lot of spunk to her. And, and uh, she came to my office and she had all of her notebooks and papers there. And she says, okay, Pastor Russ, we're going to plan my funeral right now. It's not quite the, what you're thinking about when somebody walks into your office, you know, that we're going to plan a funeral. And um, but she said, I want, I want to make sure that you do what I want you to do when I die. And I want to make sure that you do the service that I, I want, want it to be done. These are songs I want you to have sung, and these are the specials I want done, and these are the things I want you to show, and these are the illustrations, and, and this is what I want you to communicate, because I want, I want to be able to communicate to all my friends and family the hope of my life. Um, because she had a very difficult life, an extremely difficult life. And she was married to a man who was an alcoholic, but she felt like God called her to stay with her, him his, his entire life. And so she did. She was faithful to him, even though of all of his addictions. And, and so she lived for another 10 years. And, and I'll never forget the day that I was called to the hospital when she was there. And, and uh, I, I came into her room, and, uh, and uh, she was still very coherent when I, when I went into her room. And like I normally do, I usually chide her just a little bit because she'd always give it back to me. And so I said, hey, uh, hey Aletha, what, what, what in the world are you doing here? Why, why are you here? And so we started having this conversation. She goes, oh, Pastor Russ, I'm just trying to get to heaven. <laughs> and we continued to have this conversation. And she said, you know, I don't feel like I'm dying I feel like I'm just entering into a new phase of life. And I thought, what an incredible perspective when you're right there at that edge of stepping into eternity. So many people 
hate this experience of walking into death. For me, it's just such an honoring thing to be right there at that edge between earth and heaven. It's such an honor to be there with people. And, and uh, eventually the decision was made to take her off of life support. And it looked like she was just about gone when all of a sudden she just jostled herself um, awake again. So, Pastor Russ, Pastor Russ. And I wasn't by her bedside. I was over in the corner because the family was right there. And so she goes, Pastor Russ, Pastor Russ. So I, I jumped up and took her hand. And I, I said, at least I'm right, right here. And she goes, Pastor Russ, Pastor Russ, I'm going to that place, that unknown place to be with the Lord. And then she goes, but you know what? It's not so unknown. And then she closed her eyes and she died. I'm telling you the difference, the difference is enormous. When you know Jesus for yourself, this transition into eternity is such a joy. There's something to look forward to. And not just you, but for your family members as well. The Bible describes it as the blessed hope. That we have the blessed hope to look forward to knowing that our loved ones, even though it aches for us when they're no longer with us, that we know that we'll see them again. Um, and this is the hope of heaven that we have. And when you have this hope of heaven, it changes everything. It changes how you live life here on earth. And it's interesting. I saw the statistic the other day that 96% of people believe in the afterlife. It's an interesting statistic. 96%. I think that's an enormous statistic because based upon how people live their lives, you would never think that, that people actually think in the afterlife. They sure don't live their life in that with that in mind. And, but 96% believe, and I, I think it's the reason why the Bible describes for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God actually set eternity in the hearts of men and women, that he put that in there, and so you can't help but to think about the afterlife. You may push it aside, you may try to forget about it, you may get busy, but it's always going to keep coming back up. It's just going to keep coming back up because God's put eternity inside of your heart. And so when you think about this issue of heaven, it makes sense that Jesus and the writers of the Bible would use it as a motivator. Look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen, folks, there's a life beyond this life that you'll really want to invest in. Because this life is not just about this life. And so this morning, I want to try to direct your attention. And, and I want to try to help direct your life towards eternity. Because I think the reality for way too many of us is that we spend way too much time and energy and money directed toward the right here and right now. When it should be directed, our lives should be directed towards eternity. And here's the first reason why. Number one, because heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven is your home. This is not your home. And I think one of the best pieces of pastoral advice I could ever give you is simply hang in there. Just hang in there. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know life doesn't always make sense, but hang in there because you're just passing through. This is not your home. There's nothing perfect about this place. So just hang in here. Look at this, what Jesus said in John 14, verse 1. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would tell you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now look what was happening here. Because the disciples came to Jesus and they were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They were, they were struggling with all the things that were going on around them. And then Jesus acknowledged. He said, I know you're discouraged. I know this is hard. I know, I know this life stinks, but don't let it get you down. And you would think that the next line in the verse, Jesus would have said, come on over here. Let me pray for you. Let's get a miracle right here and right now. Right? That's, I think that's kind of how we do things. That's kind of what we're wanting God to, to do. I don't like what's happening here. God, I need a miracle right here and right now. But notice that Jesus didn't do this. Jesus said, I know you're discouraged. I know you're depressed. I know life is difficult. But you need to understand, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. This is really important because every time the disciples went to Jesus with an earth problem... Jesus showed them an eternal solution. And I think it's always important for us to understand God will always work in your life with eternity in mind. We look at it right here, right now, and I want this to change right here and right now. And sometimes it does. Sometimes God intervenes right here and right now. But always remember, he will always work from an eternal perspective because the real solutions to your life aren't here, but they're there. Did you hear me? The real solutions to your life aren't here, they're there. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, for as I have told you before, and now say again with tears, many lives, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Now, this is really interesting because watch what the Apostle Paul is describing here because did you see who the Apostle Paul describes as those who are enemies to the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you see that? He said, those whose God is their stomach. In other words, their God is indulgence. They're living their lives for themselves. And the reason why, the reason why they're enemies to cross Jesus Christ, look at the next phrase, their mind is on earthly things. Now, I don't know how this verse strikes you, but it shakes me just a little bit. Because think about it. The Apostle Paul describes those whose minds are on earthly things can actually become enemies to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how often I'm focused just on earthly things. You know, how often are you just focused on earthly things? And notice what happens. He said that if you keep, if you keep your focus, that, then your God becomes indulgence. You're just living life for yourself. And when that happens, when you're living your life just for yourself, you actually become an enemy to the cross of Jesus Christ. But then, notice the course correction that he gives the believers in Philippi. He says, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he does. He shifts them. He said, they're having their focus just on earthly things, but you need to remember your citizenship's not here on earth. It is in heaven. And I was thinking about this um, this past week because I think so many of us are so incredibly disappointed and disillusioned with our American government and politics and what's happening in the world. It's just so disheartening and what's happening around us. But I want to remind you folks that we serve a God whose government rests upon his shoulder and of his kingdom. There is no end. 
And so you need to remind yourself that earth is not your home. Heaven is your home. You're just passing through. And then here's a second reason why we need to refocus our attention and our affection towards eternity, and that is because the line is longer than the dot. The line is longer than the dot. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, it's known as the, um, the hall of faith. And it describes all these men and women of past, heroes of faith, who would take steps of faith and believe God at his word. It's an interesting chapter because half of them saw the result of their faith and what they were believing God for and what they were praying for. But then the other half, they never did. They were still, they were, but they're still considered um, uh, men and women of faith. And in verse 13, it says this. He says, each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted, but they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. It's changing the perspective that it's, life is not just about this dot, but about this line of eternity. And I love how Randy Alcorn, he, he talks about this in his book, Treasure Principle, and he writes it this way. He says, I think of our lives in terms of a dot and a line, signifying two phases. Our present life on earth is the dot. It begins, it ends, it's brief. However, from the dot, a line extends that goes on forever. That line is eternity, which Christians will spend in heaven. Right now, we're living in the dot. But what are we living for? The short-sighted person lives for the dot. The person with perspective lives for the line. He made this little video that kind of describes this. So I want to put your attention to the screen. Let's watch this here together. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why is he telling them, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth? Because they're not going to last. It's not simply that it's the wrong thing to do. It's the stupid thing to do. But Jesus says, turn it around. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then if you know me, you're going to heaven. Then every day of your life, if your treasures are in heaven, you're getting closer to your treasures instead of moving away from your treasures. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures has a reason to despair. He who spends his life moving toward his treasures has reason to rejoice. This life is just a dot. And from that dot extends a line. And that line is going to go out forever. We all live in the dot. But if we're smart, we're not going to live for the dot. We're going to live for the line with the people of God. God who will live forever, people who will live forever, His Word which will live forever. So live your life now while you're in the dot, in light of the line, investing in the line. What's going to matter after you die? Is that good? It's a great illustration of what we're talking about here. I think it just makes sense then to not pour everything that you have into this little dot. However long this dot's going to last, it makes sense not to just pour everything in there, but actually pour everything that you are in it to that line. And here's a third reason why we need to refocus our attention 
and our affections toward eternity. And that is because there's limited time and incredible opportunity. There's limited time and there's incredible opportunity. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm beginning to realize the reality of this verse. Because I'm now on the down the slope of my life. How many know what I'm talking about here? I've lived more on this side than I have left on this side. And like I mentioned before, I've been doing ministry for 27 years. And so the reality is I probably don't have another 27 years as pastoring. And so I'm also on the downslope of that as well. And so most of my life has been about building, 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 right? You all kind of understand that. You're trying to achieve something, trying to build something. But the reality is that for me, I need to be in a mode of finish, finish, finish. That about impartation, being able to pass on things, that that needs to be what our lives. And I think that's the same for you, no matter what profession you're in, no matter where you are, no matter what season of life that you're in, because your time is limited. There is limited time, but there is incredible opportunities. I was saying this in the first service, is that I think sometimes we forget about this because the world around us is getting darker. The world around us is getting hard to watch. It's hard to see all the tragedies and all the, the natural disasters and all the terrorist thing. It gets hard to watch. I think about my kids growing up in this world that's different than the world that I have grown up in. But here's what, here's what gives me excitement and hope. Because I know that this generation has not yet experienced a movement of God. But I tell you something, God visits every generation, and so there will be. And so I always think, why not here? Why not now? Why not us? And so there is credible opportunity. To God, there's things that God wants to do, and he's always looking for a man or a woman who say, right here, God. You know, or why don't you do it right here in the hill country? Why don't you do it in all the places in the world? Why not here in Spicewood, Texas? There, there is credible opportunity. God's just looking for us to join in with him. There's a place in London, England that is called um, Churchill Bunker. Has anybody ever been to London before? It's an amazing spot. And, and this is the, the bunker that Winston Churchill and his staff hid out in and made all of these plans during World War II, during the Nazi Blitzkrieg. And on one of the walls in this bunker is this incredible poster that he had made to distribute throughout the United Kingdom. Look at this poster here. Self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy. He generated it because he understood the times in which they lived, that Nazism was trying to overtake the world. And he was trying to stir the British people out of their passivity, out of that status quo, out of that self-indulgence. And he realized that if we don't come out of just being focused on ourselves, all we're doing is just helping the enemy. And I think it is a major spiritual truth for you and for me. Because there is, there is limited time and there's incredible opportunity. But if you don't come out from underneath your self-indulgent lifestyle and raise your head up and see life differently from an eternal perspective, then all you're doing is you're just helping the enemy. You're helping the devil and culture take over and do what they want to do. And then here's a fourth reason why we need to refocus our attention and our affection towards eternity. And that's because it's just simply smart. It's just smart living. Look at this, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. 
He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Now, for those who are, who, of you who are used to investing in the stock market, the, these verses should make a lot of sense for you. Because Jesus is talking about investments. That's what he's talking about. That's the, that's the perspective here. And he's saying that you need to make sure that you're allocating a portion of your portfolio to those things that are going to get the best return. And he's giving us the best insider information tips that you'll ever have because he's showing you where the best investments are to be given. And then look at the next verse, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so your heart, your desires, your passions, your fulfillment, your attention, all of those things go to whatever you invest in. Think about it. Just think about it in the natural. If you've never invested your finances in something, you decide you're going to invest in Bitcoin, and then all of a sudden, what happens? You start paying attention to where the Bitcoin is going on in the market, right? You may never even have heard about Bitcoins until you, until you put money there, and now you're very interested in what's going on with Bitcoins or whatever, Whatever you're putting, and that's just what happens. Whatever we invest in, your heart follows it. Your attention follows it. And so Jesus was saying we need to invest then in those things that are eternal, not just the things that are temporary. And so how do we do this? Well, look at this in Luke chapter 12. It's an interesting parable that Jesus gave, starting in verse 16. It says, and Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store. Now watch his verbiage. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store, look at the word, all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. So take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will demand it of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The obvious answer, he won't. He can't take it with you. Verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things, listen to this, for himself, but is not rich toward God. And so the obvious question is, okay, how do we not end up like this man? How do we become rich toward God? How do we actually build a heavenly portfolio? Well, number one, I need to give God myself. I need to give myself to God. I think for so many people, we get this this turned upside down because Jesus doesn't ask for your stuff. He doesn't ask for your stuff. He asks for you. And he asks for all of you. Because when he gets all of you, he gets all of you. Robert Harris, who's an English novelist and former journalist and BBC television reporter, he said it this way. He says, if one, fir- if one first give himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. Or flip it. If you're having a hard time giving, then could it be you haven't yet given yourself away? If you're struggling 
with serving, if you're struggling with giving, if you're all those types of things, then maybe it's still because you're holding tight to who you are. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. And so this is a continual thing for every single one of us, because I think this is so hard, because we want to hold on to us. I want to hold on to my rights. I want to hold on to my opinions. I want to hold on to my ways of doing things. I want to hold on to my things. And so there has to be this continual letting go and giving myself to God. And then once you've given yourself to God, the second way that we become rich toward God, and we build a heavenly portfolio, is number two, act like a steward then and not an owner. Act like a steward and then not an owner. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. If you're taking notes, underline the word everything. The word everything in the original Hebrew language, it means everything. (laughs) And everything means there's nothing excluded. Everything is in everything which means you are in that. I'm included in that everything, and all that I have is a part of that everything. And so it all belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It's not, it's not me that, that it was able to, to do these things. It's because it belongs to God. And I'm sure some of you are already beginning to think, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I've really worked hard to be where I am. I've really worked hard to have what I, what I, what I have. Well, let me kind of encourage you just a little bit because it's not true, sir. Let me remind you of what Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, we just did it as part of our declaration. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, you may have been the one who showed up at the job site, but God's the one who's put breath in your lungs. God's the one who gave you those ideas. God's the one who's given you those abilities. God's the one who gave you those opportunities. And that's why in everything that we do, we have to be able to stop and say, okay, God, what would you have me to do? I mean, think about how you do it in your workplace. For those of you who don't own a business, so you're working for somebody, and one who works for somebody, then what do you do? You just can't go out and make your own decisions. You always have to check in. And say, so this is what I'm thinking. How about this? Can I, I'm going to spend some money here. Is this okay? You submit those things to the owner. And that's what, that's what the Bible describes for us. We're not the owner. He is. He owns it all. And so once I've given myself to him, he owns me and then everything about me. And so now it's my responsibility to ask him, okay, God, what do you want to do here in this situation? Should, do we need, should we buy this or not? Should we sell this? Should I do this or that? Because now I'm acting like a steward, a manager of what what he actually owns. And one of the ways that I do this is kind of just remind myself that he kind of owns me and everything that I have is every time I buy something, I kind of have, you're going to kind of think of me kind of a little funny after I tell you the story, but I kind of talk to my stuff. So whether it's I buy a house or I buy a car, a month or so ago, Sheldon was in an accident and totaled his car. And and so we've been in the process of having to replace a vehicle here. And so we finally made a decision. And and so when I drove that car home, I had this conversation with my car. Because I'm in this car and I'm, and so this is what, this is, so, okay, you can laugh at me, but this is, this is what I do. This is how I remind myself. And so I, as I'm driving back home, I'm having this conversation with the car. I said, car, I don't know where you've been. I don't know who's had you before. I don't know who's driven you. I don't know what you've done. 
I don't know what people have said while they're in this car. I don't know what you've been a part of, but now you know something's different. You're a part of God's fleet. You're in his kingdom now. And so now you need to live just a little bit differently. Okay? So how you were created, you need to run properly. <laughs> and all the mechanics and electrical parts and all the engine and all those things, you need to last a really long time. Because you're part of God's fleet, and now you're in his fleet, and so you need to do what you were created to do. And so I just, I just, I know, I know I'm kind of weird, but it reminds me, it reminds me, this is not my car. You see what I'm saying? This is, I purchased this thing, but it's a part of God's kingdom now, and I'm reminding myself, and to be honest, I'm reminding these, this house that I live in, this is your, your part now of God's kingdom, and you're, God will use you as he wants to use you, and I'm just a servant, I'm just a steward of these things right here and right now. You can laugh later on. All right, here we go. There's a third way that we become rich toward God where we build up a heavenly portfolio, and that is we view everything through the lens of eternity. View everything through the lens of eternity. And so when I see and talk to people later on this afternoon at Fall October, I'm going to be looking at them and talking with them through the lens that their soul matters. Their soul matters. That I'm not just having this conversation here, but there's, there's eternity that happens in our conversations. There's eternity that happens when you're in your workplace. There's eternity that happens when you're standing in, in line at Randall's or HEB. There's eternity that's happening here when you're in conversation with people. And even if you don't like their personality, they're still, their soul matters. And so approaching life this way from that lens of eternity, making decisions from the lens of eternity, that's what this is all about. And Hebrews chapter 11 describes um, part of Moses' life in verse 25. It says, he, that is Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now think of what he's talking about here. Because Moses could have stayed in Egypt. Moses could have stayed in Egypt as the prince of Egypt and had all the treasures and pleasures of Egypt. But he chose to let go of all that Egypt offered because he recognized that eternity had a greater treasure. And so he was willing to let go of all the stuff that most people said, what are you doing? Why in the world? That's, but he had this eternal perspective. And then the fourth way that we become rich toward God and where we build a heavenly portfolio is that, and that is to be intentional. Be intentional. We talked about this a lot last week, but let me just repeat this again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. And make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. I love that last phrase. God loves it when the giver delights in his giving. And I want you to be able to delight as well. I want you to be able to delight and when you serve. I want you to be able to delight when you give. And so pre-decide. That's what he's talking about. Pre-decide, be intentional. You decide how much time you're going to set aside to serve others. You decide how much money you're going to set aside to give others. You decide, you be intentional. I mentioned this last week, that, that we do a thing around here um, at One Chapel um, in the month of December 
um, where we um, take up a legacy offering. This year is December 10th, and it's something that we do every year. And the whole reason why I'm even talking about it now, because it's seven weeks away, is because this, this whole principle, I want you to be intentional. I don't want you to feel pressured. I want you to take time to think about it, to pray about it, to talk about it, to ask the question about setting aside money for this purpose. And what we do in the month of December is we take one offering that's all about legacy, going above and beyond what we could ever do just in a normal sense of a way, and being able to take this giant step forward in what God would have for us as a church. And I mentioned this last week that part of what we do as a church and part of the vision that we have is church planting. We are a church plant, and we want to continue to plant churches. Here in the Austin area, there's only 4.7 churches per 10,000 people. The national average is 12,000, 12 churches per 10,000 people. So we're way behind statistically in catching up to all the people that are moving into this area. So we don't have enough building space, enough churches to fill all, all the people that are coming into this area. And that's why church planting is such an important part. And it's our DNA. It's, it's what we want to be about is planting churches. And so every time you ever give... 2% of what you give immediately goes into a savings account that's just simply for church planting. And we just let it grow and grow and grow and grow because it takes about $100,000 to $120,000 to go plant a church. And so we're looking in 2018 to plant another church. And so it takes that type of money. And so what, what a legacy offering does is it helps us take huge steps towards being able to get there quicker instead of just doing 2% at a time. As well, I mentioned this last week, that every time that you give, 10% of what you give goes towards missions. And so we support all sorts of missionaries, local and national and international. And so every time you give, 10% of everything you give goes towards missions. But what we do this legacy offering, we've been vetting all these different missionaries and mission organizations through the year and looking at additional projects that we can get behind and, and dump a bunch of money at a time to help them move forward in what God has for them in their kind of area of the world. And then the last thing that we'll be using in this legacy offering is, is that just up the road is um, West Cypress Hills Elementary School. And, and so part of what's going to happen with this offering is that we're going to give uh, money to every single teacher of that school. Because I really believe that teachers are one of the most unrecognized, unappreciated, and poorly paid um, people in our culture today. And they work so hard. And I just want to be able to love on them and just come alongside of them as a community and say, we believe in you. Thank you so much for investing in, in our children. And so that's what we'll be using part of this, this legacy offering for us. So I just want you to know about that. I want you to put it, but you, you pre-decide. You be intentional. You be thinking about how you can um, add into this legacy offering. My point is, is that we need to move beyond just seeing things just in the temporary fashion, but looking at things from an eternal perspective. And not just investing our life things that are temporary, but actually investing in things that are going to outlive you, things that are of eternity. And here's what I've realized, is that you're never going to miss those things that you invest in eternity. You may miss the money that you loan to your brother-in-law, but you're not going to miss what you invest in eternity. And I think for some of you, you know, you, you may have even kind of gotten lost in just the, the thing of life. And I felt like this morning as I was praying for, for you and for the service that God wanted to stir this whole issue of eternity back in your heart. And so if you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. And, and so, Father, I pray for everyone here today 
especially for those who just feel so discouraged and so, feel so disillusioned and feel just so overwhelmed with what's going on in their life, that maybe they have lost the hope of heaven. Maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they didn't even know of the hope of heaven, that God, right now, here in this place, that Holy Spirit, that you would come and by your presence, that you would bring your peace into that situation, that you would open up their hearts to eternity. For those who are struggling with loss and struggling with just what's happened and the loss of a loved one, that that God, that you would put inside of them this blessed...